You're listening to Comedy Central. April 8, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. He's in the new PBS miniseries of Les Miserables. Here, because I'm the only late night host who can correctly pronounce his name on the first try, <laughs> David Oyelowo is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also, also on tonight's show, President Trump fires his Secretary of Homeland Security, Vladimir Putin might be screwing with your GPS, and the US economy is totally in good hands. So let's catch up on today's headlines. <laughs> First up, let's talk about Joe Biden, former vice president and registered hug offender. <laughs> Last week, as more women complained about his weave diving habits, Biden released a video assuring everyone that he understands the problem. But after this weekend, it's not clear that he does. Former Vice President Joe Biden in damage control after numerous women accused him of unwelcome physical contact, though not sexual. During a speech on Friday, Biden raised eyebrows by ad-libbing a joke about the controversy. I just want you to know I had permission to hug Lonnie. (laughs) And again, seeming to make light of it after inviting children to the stage. By the way, he gave me permission to touch him. Later, trying to explain. My intent to make light of anyone's discomfort. I realize my responsibility is to not invade the space of anyone who is uncomfortable in that (laughs) regard. Oh, wow, man. He didn't even make it to the car before he had to explain himself again. He's like, I know what you're gonna say, and I'm I'm sorry. I'll be honest, I've never seen anything like this in politics. I've seen people apologize and stop doing the thing. I've seen Trump, who never apologizes, but Biden is the only politician who says he'll stop doing something while doing it. Like, if Joe Biden was robbing a bank, he'd be like, this is completely inappropriate. I shouldn't be doing this. I understand why people take offense. Hand me another bag. I've learned so much, and I will be doing better in the future. Honestly, I think Joe Biden just doesn't get it, which is great news for him, because guys who just don't get it is one of the most powerful voting blocks in America. Moving on (laughs) to international news. Vladimir Putin, president of Russia and a hairless grizzly bear. According to a new report, Putin's security team is apparently using a device that scrambles GPS signals wherever he goes. This is a completely true story. And researchers have figured this out because they noticed, for example, when Putin was driving near the ocean, all the ships nearby, their GPS systems suddenly told them that they were on land 40 miles away. (laughs) That's what happened. It just scrambles GPS, yeah. Also, in the cars nearby, Waze suddenly started speaking in a Russian accent. It was just like, at next intersection, drive off cliff into lake. (laughs) Person was like, okay, ah! Recalculating. (laughs) And you know, also, you would think scrambling the GPS around Putin would throw people off, but once you know he's doing it, all you have to do is look for the place where GPS doesn't work, and that's where he is, right? It's as simple as that. It's just like whenever my Fitbit doesn't work, you know that I'm in a cheesecake factory because I turned it off. (laughs) 
judgmental bitch. And finally, some news from South Africa about a guy who did the Circle of Life Challenge. And a disturbing story out of South Africa. A suspected poacher gets the ultimate payback by the wild. Park authorities from Kruger National Park say a skull and this pair of pants was all that was left behind of a suspected poacher who was killed by an elephant and then eaten by lions. Wow. <laughs> killed by an elephant and then eaten by lions. This story has all the jungle A-listers. It's a South African Tarantino film. That's what this is. <laughs> and I know, I know a lot of people are celebrating this story because it feels like karma or whatever. But I'll be honest, I feel sad for the elephants. Right? Cause lions kill every day, but an elephant never forgets. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna wake up in the middle of the night like, I can still see his face, Margaret. <laughs> oh, and here, here's a weird detail. My favorite detail in the story is after the elephant killed the poacher and the lions ate him, all they found was a skull and pants. <laughs> Which means somewhere out there is a lion with a new shirt. <laughs> all right, let's move on to today's top story. <laughs> When Donald Trump came onto the political scene, there were a few things we knew about the man. He was rich, he loved women, and his favorite catchphrase was this. You're fired, you're fired, get out. Yeah, that's him talking to wife number two. <laughs> and since Trump took office, a record number of people have left the White House, which even for Trump is pretty impressive, right? It's almost like he's leading the resistance by himself. Everyone out there is like, we gotta get these people out of office. And Trump is like, way ahead of you folks, resist. <laughs> and today, President Trump continued his streak by firing the head of the Secret Service. Yeah, plus get this, to add actual insult to injury, it also came out that Trump has secretly been calling this guy Dumbo because of his giant ears. <laughs> yeah, which you gotta admit is super gangster, right? <laughs> I mean, for two reasons. One, this is the person protecting your life. And secondly, <laughs> Normally, the Secret Service has code names for the president, but this is a president who has code names for his Secret Service. He's standing there like, Oakley is talking to Dumbo, and now here comes Broken Condom. I like how that was a wave. That was nice. That was a wave. Yeah. You guys got it first, and then you took it all the way to the back. I like that. But that wasn't even the most prominent firing of the past 24 hours because the news rocking the headlines has been this. Overnight, Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen forced out of the administration. Tensions between Nielsen and President Trump have been simmering for months, but reached a boiling point after the president's furious response to the recent surge in migrant crossings at the southern border. Just hours after a face-to-face -face meeting with the president on Sunday, Nielsen submitted her resignation. Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> Kirsten Nielsen, the woman responsible for Trump's border enforcement, has been deported out of the White House. <laughs> and you know what makes it worse? Not just that she lost her job, it's that Nielsen is leaving this White House with her reputation in tatters. Remember, she was the face of the Trump administration's family separation policy, where kids were split from their parents and kept in cages. So basically, the only job she can get now is working for R. Kelly. But the crazy thing... <laughs> The crazy thing, I don't even know who you're booing, R. Kelly or her. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But the crazy thing is that even though people on the left consider her cruel and inhumane, President Trump thought she was too soft. 
A person close to Nielsen says she's been on thin ice with the administration, often clashing with President Trump, who has accused her of not doing enough to stem the tide of undocumented immigrants. She was always in a tough position, seen as too tough on immigration on Capitol Hill, not tough enough here at the White House. Not tough enough? Oh, this White House is weird, man. How are you gonna get rid of the kids in cages woman for being too nice? <laughs> That's like firing a cat for not displaying its anus enough. And she's like, I'm sorry, cat, we just needed more butt. We needed much more butt than that. <laughs> and here's the thing, it, it, was, it was no secret to Secretary Nielsen that Trump wanted her to be tougher on migrants, right? He made that very clear to her and everyone else within shouting distance. For months, President Trump has been openly berating Secretary Nielsen at cabinet meetings, pushing her to take more and more drastic measures to stop the flow of migrants at the southern border. According to the New York Times, the president called Ms. Nielsen at home early in the mornings to demand that she take action to stop migrants from entering the country, including doing things that were clearly illegal, such as blocking all migrants from seeking asylum. Wow. Trump would call her early in the morning just to yell about the border? You know how horrible that must have been? Think about it. We're all traumatized by Trump's tweets at 5 a.m. <laughs> now imagine if the tweets came into your bedroom every morning and were like, hey, caravans of rapists, weak Democrats, love crime, and by the way, Kofifi. <laughs> but that's right. Trump wanted Nielsen to block all migrants from claiming asylum, which, by the way, is against U.S. law. And even though people have said the United States needs to provide refuge to people who are fleeing poverty and crime, Trump has made it clear that he doesn't believe their stories at all. The asylum program is a scam. Some of the roughest people you've ever seen, people that look like they should be fighting for the UFC. Give him asylum, he's afraid. He's afraid. We don't love the fact that he's got tattoos on his face. That's not a good sign. Okay, look, I'll, I'll be honest. I get where Trump is coming from. If I see someone with tattoos on their face, I get uncomfortable because I know they're gonna try and sell me their mixtape, you know? <laughs> yeah, they'll say it's free, but then they look at me funny when I start walking away. And then I'm like, should I have taken this? I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> Anyway, look, the point is, Trump is clearly ignoring all the women and children who are claiming asylum. He's obsessed with the pictures of the guys who look to him like UFC fighters, which also might explain why he wants everyone in cages. He thinks it's their natural habitat. <laughs> and this shouldn't be surprising to us, because here's the thing about Donald Trump that you have to understand. To him, it's all about how people look. If you look like a big, tough guy, you can't be an asylum seeker in his mind. He wants people who look how he expects them to look, which is why he gets so excited when he meets someone in the real world who looks like a character from the movies. These are central casting. If I'm doing a movie, I pick you, General Mattis. NRCC chair, Tom Emmer. This guy's like central casting. You couldn't pick a better guy in Hollywood. There's no actor. You talk central casting, these guys, you couldn't, I mean, it's incredible. They had a master sergeant there. I could take him right now, bring him to Hollywood. Make a military movie, and he's the star of the movie. That happened once before, you know. Central casting, you can't cast no, them. What do you have? They're... You don't have anybody in Hollywood that looks like these guys. <laughs> he's got 10 people standing behind him. Everyone is central casting. Central casting. <laughs> Glasses, pad, 
Boom. I was the perfect person. I was like central casting. Really? You were central casting as president? I mean, I get as president uh, in a Sharknado movie, maybe, yes. I mean, <laughs> we've got to stop these sharks, folks. I get that. But you see, it's really simple. And if anything, this is a great lesson for the migrants because it's not your story or your life that President Trump cares about. It's just how you look. Here's my advice. When you show up to the border, you just need to look like the people Trump wants to see in America. So guys, grab an oversized suit, get a long red tie, and while you're at it, throw a tumbleweed up there as a wig. Yeah. <laughs> Once Trump sees a million hymns trying to get into America, forget a wall, he's gonna build a ramp straight into the US. It's me, let me in! We'll be right back. Show. Let's talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve. Wake up! Hey, wake up! <laughs> the Federal Reserve is a really important institution that sets interest rates and controls a big part of the economy. But most people pay as much attention to it as they do to their belly button hygiene, right? And if you just laughed at that, you gotta wash your belly button. Yeah. <laughs> Have you taken a look at it? What's inside those crevices? You don't know. Anyway. Last week, President Trump nominated his friend, Herman Cain, for a seat on the Federal Reserve. And already, people are not happy. Is President Trump trying to stack the Federal Reserve Board with loyalists and critics of the current Fed leadership? In the past, friendship with a sitting president has not been what lands you a job running the world's most powerful central bank. This sort of unorthodox pick, more political than academic. He's a proponent of the gold standard, which is one of the most archaic ideas when it comes to monetary policy one could possibly think of. He does not understand pretty basic uh, economic policy issues. Yes, it seems like once again, Trump has nominated someone who seems wholly unqualified for the job. The question is, how does he keep on doing this? I feel like he goes on Angie's list and then clicks the sort button <laughs> so that all the one-star reviews come up first. I start from the bottom. Although I do understand why Trump would like someone who supports the gold standard, because I mean, gold standard is also Trump's interior decorating philosophy. <laughs> but still, still guys, this is exciting news. Trump has hired a black person into a high profile position. And sure, maybe he gave Herman Cain the job because he thought it was Ben Carson, but that's not the point, all right? <laughs> the point is, there's a new face joining the world of Trump. So let's get to know the guy who's gonna be controlling all of our money in another installment of Profiles in Tremendousness. I have the most dedicated people. I have the best people. Meet Herman Cain, businessman and Tyler Perry movie villain. He built his reputation as an executive at Burger King, Pillsbury, and he was even the CEO of Godfather's Pizza, which is a weird name if you ask me because you're selling an Italian food using their worst possible stereotype. Yeah, it'd be like opening a soul food restaurant called Always Late. <laughs> but what made, what made Kane really famous was his 2012 presidential campaign, right? When he came up with a tax plan that didn't make sense but sounded really cool. Herman Cain's campaign is on fire, thanks in large part to his 999 economic plan. But a long list of economists say Cain's plan would hit the lower middle class hard. Criticized for his simplicity and hailed as a campaign marketing coup. This 999 plan, it didn't come off a pizza box. 9% corporate business flat tax, 9% personal income flat tax, and a 9% national sales tax. Well, I have a free gift for everybody. Really? It's called 999. 
999. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a tax plan. It sounds like he's selling discount waterbeds. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> and I won't, I won't deny, it is catchy, but you, you can't create a tax plan off of a catchphrase, right? It doesn't inspire much confidence. It's the same way I wouldn't trust a doctor who's spoken slogans. Doctor, how will you treat this tumor? We're gonna cut it, gut it, and toss it in a bucket. <laughs> like, ah. Uh... I'm gonna get another opinion. Ha ha, joke's on you, you got Obamacare, you can't choose your own doctor, yeah! <laughs> but Herman Cain wasn't just known for 999, right? He's also known for all the other wacky shit that he said while he was running for the highest office in the land. Ah, uh, ducky! My kind of crowd! He wrote in his memoir that if he were president, his code name given by the Secret Service should be Cornbread. We got plenty of experts! I'm ready for the gotcha questions. And they are already starting to come. And when they ask me who's the president of you, Becky, 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 Stan, Stan, I'm gonna say, you know, I don't know. Do you know? Wait, what? How is foreign policy a gotcha question? People would like to know if you're familiar with the other people you will be working with. He's making it sound like the job interview is a trap. Are you familiar with Word and Excel? Why don't you hire me? Then we'll see. <laughs> Honestly, I, I can see why Herman Cain lost though, because he admitted that he didn't know who the leader of Uzbekistan was. Like Trump would have just created his own reality. Trump would be like, of course I know the president of Uzbekistan, but I can't tell you for strategic reasons, folks. <laughs> but he's a very good friend of mine. Him and his first lady, Uzbeki with the good hair. Great hair, best hair. <laughs> oh, and in case, in case you thought that Herman Cain was joking, uh, no, he really didn't know foreign policy. Here's how he answered another question about whether he supported Obama's actions in Libya. Okay, Libya. <laughs> President Obama supported the uprising, correct? President Obama called for the removal of Gaddafi. Just wanna make sure we're talking about the same thing before I say, yes, I agreed, I, I know I didn't agree. Um, I do not agree with the way he handled it for the following reason. Um, no, that's, that's a different one. <laughs> I gotta go back and see. Uh, Got all this stuff twirling around in my head. Um, specifically, what are you asking me that I agree and not disagree with? I don't, I don't know what was happening there, but it seemed like the human version of when you need to take out the Nintendo cartridge and blow on it, you know? That guy's so bad at hiding his thought process. I bet when he was a kid, he would get busted all the time. His mom would be like, Herman, did you spill juice on the couch? He was probably like, okay, there's juice on the couch. <laughs> and you wanna know why? Well, I was out playing ball. No, no, that's a different one. Um, no, uh, maybe, maybe it spilled itself. No, let me, let me think. Uh, I gotta go back. Uh, mom, so I got a lot swelling in my head right now, mom. <laughs> So in many ways, you can see why Trump liked Herman Cain. He started out as a flashy businessman, 
and built a presidential campaign on catchphrases and not much information. But their real connection goes even deeper than that. Once that rising candidate in the polls, now the embattled former pizza executive Herman Cain has suspended his campaign for president. This all happened yesterday. He says he's out. The announcement comes on the heels of sexual harassment allegations. Yep. Just like Trump. <laughs> Herman Cain was accused of sexual harassment. But unlike Trump, it took him down. I bet Trump looks at Cain and thinks, wow, that could have been me. <laughs> so that's Herman Cain. And if his nomination goes through, the economy will be in the hands of a president who has bankrupted casinos and a pizza guy who wants to bring back the gold standard. But don't worry, folks. Everything is gonna be fine, fine, fine. <laughs> we'll be right back. My guest tonight is a Golden Globe-nominated actor who executive produces and stars as Javert in the upcoming PBS masterpiece miniseries, Les Miserables. Please welcome David Oyelowo. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Very nice. Are you kidding me? You're very nice. You're very nice for being here. I'm a huge fan of you in every single role. You, you have the ability to transform yourself in every single role that you, you're truly an actor. Thank you. you know, some people act, but you are an actor. I really appreciate that. No, you genuinely are. Like, you're, you're a Shakespearean-trained actor, isn't, isn't that correct? In, in fact, th there's something I, I want to admit. Seeing Herman Cain earlier and where he had that meltdown. Yes. So if you, here's a tip. If you're doing a Shakespeare play and you blank, Yes. Which I have done. Just say, forsooth, my liege. <laughs> Yon bear. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> and people think that's, that's what the thing is? Yeah. Just say, forsooth. Forsooth? I feel like if, if Herman Cain said that in the middle of a thing. <laughs> who's, who's the leader of Uzbeki, Uzbek? Forsooth, my liege! <laughs> You're right. He he'd would be, be president. He'd be sectioned. He'd no, be he'd sectioned. be president. Yeah, he yeah. would be president. <laughs> so, uh, You're right. welcome to the show. Thank you. Congratulations on all of your success. Let me start off by saying, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of musicals. Right. right? You're not alone. Right. And so when they say, here's my thing, it's just for me, I, I like it when they, I, I like it when musicals, when they sing, and then they talk and sing, talk and sing. I don't like it when everything's let me walk with you to... I, don't, I can't do that. But... Kind of nice, though, when you do it. But, no, no, but... <laughs> flattery, no. But this is completely different. A lot of people will say, oh, Les Miserables, I don't, like, is that... Uh, it's the musical. This is different. This is different. This is, the sh this is the story split into six hours, and it is one of the most gripping things I have ever watched. Well, thank you. Yes, it is uh, an ad adaptation by Andrew Davies from um, Victor Hugo's original novel. It's a 1,500-page novel. A lot of people don't realize that's what the musical is based on. Right. And uh, he did an adaptation, so it's six hours from that. What, what you get, though, from this story that's different from uh, the musical is you get to focus on moments in the story. For instance, many people who've watched the musical will know that the Anne Hathaway scene where, you know, she's talking about selling her teeth. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, that's like a cute, fun thing. I'm selling my teeth. I'm poor. I'm selling my teeth. Not and now. then you watch this and you're like, yeah. they're ripping her teeth out. Yes. 
Yes. Do you think you, you got to capture more of the gritty nuances of the story? Well, if you're going to do another rendition of Les Miserables so soon after the, the musical film, you better be bringing something different, something new, something revelatory. And so what we wanted to do was to really dig into the context, the right. dimension, the complexity, the backdrop. The backdrop is post the French Revolution. For my uh, character, for instance, in Javert, you don't really get to know in the musical that he was born in prison to criminal parents hates that side of him, transposes that onto Jean Valjean, which is why he's so obsessed with him. You don't right, get to right. see the fact that Fontaine fell in love with this aristocrat and had a baby by him and he abandoned her and so she fell through the cracks of society and that's why she goes on to sell her teeth and her hair and all that kind of stuff. So this is an opportunity to really see the context behind those characters you love. When, when you watch this series, one thing that struck me is whenever I watched pieces of Les Miserables, I was always like, nah, this is happening whenever. Right. I know this sounds strange, mm. but watching this series felt eerily like things that are happening today. Absolutely. Absolutely, and that was a, another focus of ours, you know, Jean Valjean, for instance, as played by Dominic West, he's in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. Well, you only have to look at the prison industrial complex here in America right now. People who are people of color, people from um, deprived economic backgrounds being given disproportionate sentences right. for, for, for crimes that don't warrant that level of sentence. It's, well, it's because of indentured servitude, it's an extension of slavery. Right. This is what was also happening in the early 1800s in France. Um, you know, the, the gap between the haves and have-nots widening so much as we are seeing uh, now, especially in the West, that is exactly what was going on back there. So that's the only reason to do a show like this now is if it speaks to now. It genuinely feels like it speaks to now. Um, you're amazing in it. Uh, I genuinely recommend everybody goes and watches it, but you're not just doing that. You yeah. are one of the hardest people, hardest working people I know right now in Hollywood because you, you, you were in Australia, like now, <laughs> and, then, and then you were yes. in London. When, when, were you, when were you in Australia? I was last week. Yeah, and then and then you going to London. Then I went to. I was in London two days ago. And now you're here. Yes. W why? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> My wife asked the same question. Um, <laughs> um, I was doing uh, Peter Rabbit 2, okay. um, uh, which uh, we shot in uh, Sydney, Australia and in London, much to the joy of my seven-year-old daughter who loved the original film as well. Um, and then I'm here with you, of right. course. And then uh, in about two days, I'm off to Oregon where I'm gonna be directing a film. So uh, yeah, just keep this, busy. This is exciting, this is really exciting because Oh, I mean, we know and love you as an actor. I mean, you're phenomenal on screen, but now this is your first foray into directing. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a different world, and you're working with Oprah on this as well. Yeah. Which is, which is not a small... Is that, is that like added pressure or is it inspiration? Because if, if I was doing anything for Oprah, I'd, I'd just drop things by mistake all the time. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I have a, a wonderful relationship with her. Oh, I'm sorry, we, let me just dust that door for sure. <laughs> there we go, let me just, uh, yeah, let me just, uh, sorry, carry on, carry on. There's no way of saying that without it sounding conceited. Yeah. Well, we, we, play, we, we played um, uh, mother and son in the film The Butler, we became very good friends after that, we became even greater friends after she helped bring about Selma, which I was also a part of, and she's just a huge, 
advocate, supporter, and mother-like figure to me. So she, uh, she, yeah, she's she's supporting me in this endeavor. You go, you're going from from in front of the camera to behind the camera, and then now you're going to be trying to control what the camera actually records. Yeah. Because you also have a production company that you've started. Mm. Why have you started that in particular? Everyone has a different reason for starting a production company, mm. but why did you do it? Well, I, I grew up loving film and television, and I rarely got to see myself reflected in what I loved, admired, and was obsessed with watching. And, you know, as I gained in notoriety, I feel like if I'm not part of the solution, I'm part of the problem. I've been given a platform, and so therefore, I want a different world for my children. I want them to see themselves represented on film because it's right. such a powerful cultural tool for empathy. I think the more we understand different cultures, different backgrounds, different peoples, the more we are less likely to operate in ignorance, which is where I think prejudice comes from. You, um... <laughs> you work in London, you work in Australia, but uh, you live in the US. Yes. And your father lives with you in Los Angeles, or does yes. he come and visit you quite, quite a lot? No, 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 he, he, lives, he lives with us. Right. And, um, yeah. <laughs> what, what? The, the, the reason I'm pausing is my dad, we, when we lived in the UK, we lived in, in, in houses or apartments that we didn't have a yard. Now, right. LA, as most people know, has a lot of space. Yes. And uh, my dad has become obsessed with leaf blowing. Um, Are you being serious? No, I'm, I'm absolutely serious. Um, and so, you know, when you, if you have the gut... Oh, wait, but I need, I need to paint, paint me a picture okay. of your dad, though. Okay. So, so where's your dad from? I need to start with that. Yeah, so my dad's from Oyo State in Nigeria. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so Western Nigeria, um, but lived most of his life now in the UK. Got it. And then he now wanted to spend more time with his grandchildren. So your Nigerian so... dad is obsessed with leaf blowers. It's, it's, cra it's crazy. It's, it's if you knew Nigerians, you'd know that that was really weird. Uh, <laughs> that, that he, he, what am I going to go and do the gardening for? So, but, but, but he is obsessed with infomercials. So he just sits there and he see, he's got like four different leaf blows. I've got the automatic, I've got the, this one has four gears. And yeah! <laughs> Okay, okay, Daddy, as long as you're happy. The problem is he never just does like the concert Yeah. Because then you kind of go, okay, Daddy's leaf blowing is fine. He goes So for the hour that he's doing this. Oh man, oh man. It's just like you know, one leaf at a time. It's just one like leaf a... at a time. Yeah. Yeah. He's so happy when fall comes. He goes, ahead, he leaves. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, you know what? If getting more work means you can buy more leaf blowers for your dad, I'm excited for both of you. Thank you so much Thank for you. being on the show. Lumi Zahavna premieres April 14th at 9 p.m. on Masterpiece on PBS. David Oyelowo, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app.
Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.